Good morning, everybody. Pastor Tim, it's good to be with you today. And I wonder how many discouraged people we have after that loss last week. Wow. I tell you, I was so disappointed, like so many of you, but also encouraged because I know our God is good. Now, you know, in life, we have a lot of times that we go through storms and challenges. In fact, we face a lot of discouragement in life, don't we? I meet so many discouraged people, especially in the last couple of years. And people will say, I have never been through such discouraging times. But you know what? If you'd really be honest and take a step back, you'd have to acknowledge we've always had discouraging times. We've always had bad things happening. I think it's just accentuated now with the social media, the rapid advance of technology. There's so many things out there that are hitting us, and it's so easy to get down. So we're in this series right now we're calling Biggest Loser, and I want to bring encouragement to your heart, and I want to help out here battling and dealing with discouragement to drop the discouragement. We've had discouragement ever since the beginning of time. I'm remembering that the women of liberal Kansas every year run with the women of only England in a sporting event they call the Great Pancake Race. Anybody ever heard of this? It's a real sporting event, a real sporting event. And it all started back in the 15th or 16th century when there was a lady that was making pancakes kind of late in the morning and she was also getting ready for church, and all of a sudden, the church bell rang. And she didn't want to be late for church, and she didn't want her pancakes to go to waste or be burnt, so she picked up the griddle and the pancakes and all and took off running, darted to the church. And thus we have the, the annual great pancakes. The end of the street down which the women run in only England, there's a house, and it looks kind of like this. And out of that century, and it was the home of where one of the greatest English poets lived, his name was William Cowper. Cowper's father was the chaplain to King George II. Cowper was known as being the most phenomenal poet, English writer of the day. He was the guy that was credited for his translation of Homer in 1791. And here a few years ago in the English-speaking world, there was a survey that was conducted every to uh, down in Australia, from UK, across the pond here in America, and people were asked, what's your greatest Christian song? And one of Cowper's hymns landed on the top 100. There's a fountain filled with blood. This guy had such an amazing way of melody and putting these words and composing things and um, but you know what Cowper wasn't or Cooper rather is his name wasn't always able to write such melious music he battled large periods of great discouragement in life reading his story it's amazing how this guy got through this season of discouragement the greatest bit of discouragement happened when he was age 32. And it was so great, he just wanted to end his life. And so he thought, I'm going to consume something. And he said, I'm going to take some laudium, 
which is a tincture of opium. So he tried to end his life, but he didn't take enough, and he survived. He got really upset about that, and he said, well, I'm just going to go out to the famous Thames River, out to the bridge, and I am going to jump off. So he hired a horse-drawn carriage, somebody to take him out to the Thames River, there to the bridge, and he's going to end his life. But it happened to be one of London's foggiest nights. And the driver drove and drove and drove and drove, and they never did reach the bridge. And finally, in great disgust, Cooper said, just stop already. And he gets out, and lo and behold, he realizes they've just gone one big circle. He's right back down at his doorstep. Now he's really frustrated. He goes in for the night. The next morning, he says, I'm going to take my life by falling on a knife. The only problem is he falls on the knife, and the blade breaks, and he survives. And then he says, I'm going to hang myself. And he goes and hangs himself, but someone comes in at the last moment. He's unconscious, but still alive and breathing. They cut him down. He lives. And then one day, so utterly in despair, he picks up the Bible and he starts reading. And there's a verse, and I forget what verse it is, in the letter to the Romans. And for the first time, the light bulb goes on. He receives Christ as his savior and his life is totally transformed what an incredible story you know we face times of discouragement all the time and you know discouragement can cause you to give up trying it can cause you to give up hope it can cause you to give up believing in yourself believing God's going to help you it can cause you when you're discouraged and in such a bout of despair to give up caring you become just apathetic to the whole thing well what's the use it can cause you to stop listening there's an example of this in the Old Testament in his Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9 the children of Israel they were out there wandering around and you know what the scripture says there Moses told the people what the Lord had said but they wouldn't listen anymore the the verse says due to the enslavement of their discouragement. Friends, you can be so discouraged, you can't even listen to God anymore. You can be so incarcerated by your feelings, so bound and handcuffed and confined. And so whatever is enslaving you today, we want you to help let go of that. You know, in Japan here recently, they have appointed a minister of loneliness. I kid you not. Just like we have a director of Homeland Security or the Commerce Department or a department head for, uh, you know, finance or whatever it is, in the country of Japan, they have appointed a minister of loneliness. During the month of October, more Japanese died from suicide than had died from COVID-19 in all of 2020. It's become a big deal, social isolation. Loneliness is linked, as you know, to a greater risk of, of disease and health issues, and people are working all over the place trying to resolve this problem. They've even created a robot out there that will come and hold your hand. You can hire people to come over and sit with you to keep you company. So many people today are battling times of discouragement and difficulty, and Discouragement attacks everybody. It attacks the Christian and the non-Christian. It attacks the rich and the poor, the weak and the mighty, the king and the servant, the young and the old. 
And that's why we're in a series right now. As I said last week, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. There's a lot of things that we all need to lose in our life. Sometimes it's not taking on, but it's losing the things. Whatever the hurdle is, whatever the bad thinking that has happened to you, what is, whatever the damaged emotions somehow that's happened along the journey of life that's weighing you down, that's keeping you from being victorious, whatever it is, you need to shed it and let it go. So we're concluding today, and I couldn't help. And I know last week I focused on defeat. Today I want to focus on discouragement. Uh, because even though tremendous amounts of things that we could talk about, whether it's losing pornography out of our life, whether it's losing the guilt out of our life, or whatever sin it might be, the bad habit, there's all kinds of things. But I find, especially right now, so many people seem to be discouraged. So I want to bring this to our attention. And, you know, in thinking about discouragement, there's a lot of people in the Bible that faced a lot of discouragement. Just like they faced defeat, there's a lot of people in the Bible that you find going through very discouraging times. Everybody from Nehemiah to Ezra, even Psalmist David. And you know, when the mind dwells on such things, you just feel like life has you pinned down. And in a text that I want to show you here today uh, on the screen, it's in 1 Kings 19. And this is a story of another fascinating character in the Bible. It takes place here in uh, the book of Kings. And the Bible tells us that incredible miracles took place in the life of this guy known as Elijah. Elijah is just such an interesting personality. And here's a guy that had been challenged by some 450 prophets there in 1 Kings at a place called Baal on Mount Carmel, and he prayed down fire from heaven, and guess what? It came, and it consumed the sacrifice. It was an amazing miracle, and this guy is just feeling it, right? Wow, I did that. God worked in amazing ways. God sent fire and consumed the sacrifice, and then Elijah went, the Bible says, to the brook of Kishon and slew false prophets, and what an act of faith. This guy's really now, you know, kind of in the swagger. You know how that is? I'm, I'm doing everything, defeating everything. And then listen to this, just four verses here I want to draw your attention to. 1 Kings 19, that Ahab here told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including how he had executed all of the prophets. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. And she said, may the God strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't take your life the way you took the lives of the Baal's prophets. And frightened, Elijah fled to save his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there. And then he traveled through the wilderness for a day and he sat down under a broom plant and wanted to die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, friends, here's a guy who was just up on top of the mountain. He had swagger. He had demonstrated incredible courage. He had stood up to the world, and he was like thinking so big of himself. And it's not long after that incident that he gets this facts, if you will, from the queen of uh, Israel at the time, Jezebel, and she was outraged that 
this guy had stood up to her prophets. And she said and announced to him by messenger, I'm going to end your life in 24 hours. Now you talk about, here's a guy that just like melted like butter on a hot day. I'm telling you, the guy, his knees became weak and wobbly and he just couldn't believe it. And suddenly he got so discouraged, he sat down under the tree and he just said, all right, God, I just want you to take my life. Who here today hasn't been like that, where you're just like so discouraged, you can't see your way through, it just seems like the circumstances are so dark and dire. Just moments before he was so victorious on Mount Carmel, he had the world, the tiger by the tail, he had demonstrated incredible bravery, he knew how to handle all these different circumstances, but now he was hiding. Now he had tucked tail and running, he was so discouraged with life. You've heard of the inferiority complex. How about the Elijah complex? And that is when you lose all sense of God's presence and provision for your life. God had just been with him. Incredible miracles had just occurred, but all of a sudden that was all shut out. He couldn't even get past it. He was so distraught and discouraged. And you know what? That's when life seems to become so meaningless. And life seems to feel like you're so abandoned, like it's so like lonely and hopeless. And Elijah was at such a low point, he just wanted to end it all. And you know, oftentimes when we are at the top is when we're most vulnerable for discouragement to kind of seep in. Discouragement is such a familiar foe. And people just want to go and flee and do something else. Some people handle it by just going to bed early or they'll handle it by comfort food, or all kinds of other things. Do you know the Hayden Planetarium up in New York City a few years ago ran this ad in all the local newspapers inviting anybody that wanted to go on the first journey to another planet. If you want to check out of this place and go to another planet, let us know. We're getting up a, a group to go there in just in a matter of hours and days. They said they had something like 18 or 20,000 applications. They handed these applications to a group of mental health professionals, psychologists, and so forth, and they just wanted to examine what this was all about. And they finally concluded that the vast majority of people who wanted to start a new life on another planet is because they're so discouraged with life on this planet. In seminary, I had a professor that every week, and you know a semester is like 16 weeks, and he would give a devotional thought on discouragement every single class and it was some other type of class like on church polity or church uh, history or something like that it shouldn't have been dealing with any kind of discouragement but every single day and finally after about three weeks somebody said well hey uh, prof uh, why in the world are you like driving this home i didn't know there were so many different verses uh, scriptures and incidents in the bible where people discouraged why are you doing this and he said well you guys are going in the ministry you're going to need it We're going to need it in life because I got a diagram up here and um, there's a diagram here and you know I always try to get from point A to point B. What are my plans? And then all of a sudden what happens? It's all over the place. It's Katie bar the door. Nothing ever goes, I mean, you know, as planned like you're thinking. Your expectation 
expectations are quickly changed and you got to recalibrate and adjust whatever is going on around you because people always don't get with the game plan. So what I want to say to you today is I want to share some things that have helped me through the years and just some things. This is not rocket science, but it's pretty basic, but it can be potent for your life. And I want to give you a couple things that you can do to battle the discouragement in life. The one thing I want to say to you that have always helped me is to rest my hope in God. Rest my hope in God. I remind myself, hey, you're a child of God. And God's got this. And I don't understand everything that's going on around me. I can't, like, fathom why this is all taking place. I'm seeing through a glass dimly here. I don't understand everything that's taking place. But you know what? Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have conquered the world. I've overcome the world. And, you know, I know at this time in... In, in life here in February, I mean, I've even heard several people here this morning, they just can't take the cold weather any longer, right? You just get so discouraged. You, you know, so many people battle sad seasonal affective disorder, and it weighs on people. The short days, you can't get out in your wood shop. You can't get out very comfortably and walk around, and, uh, you know, it's so cold. And you just feel like it's so, if I have to go out and shovel the slow one more time or scrape my windshield or turn up the furnace, you know, you'd almost rather go to the dentist with an impacted wisdom tooth or something. You're just ready to change. But let me tell you, good times are on the way, right? Good things are happening because just look at the calendar and spring is just around the corner. The birds are going to be chirping before you know it. The days are already starting to get longer. The trees are going to start budding. I know you probably forget what a pair of shorts looks like, but before long, you're going to hear the hum of the lawnmower. And then you're going to be complaining about battling the lawn every week. But the calendar tells us you can be reassured it's just a matter of time. Friends, you need to rest your hope in God. Why is rest such an important antidote to discouragement? Well, because you get discouraged when you try to be superwoman. You get discouraged when you try to live beyond your capacity. When you try to be Superman, when you try to live beyond your means, let me tell you, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, that's going to lead to discouragement because you're not going to be able to do that. And you always get discouraged. Paul says that we are clay jars in which the treasure of God is stored. I don't know if you've ever dealt with any pottery, but it can break really easy. You can drop it. It can get a crack in there. And we are clay, like pottery. Now, Psalmist David here speaks to me also in his wonderful psalm in Psalm 42, where he talks about the discouragement that he battled. Psalmist David, he says, Why are you in such despair, O my soul? And why have you become so disturbed within me? Hope in God. He's saying the same thing. Rest your hope in God. And if you have lost hope, you will find it if you look to God. James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw nigh to you. We're not talking about physical distance. We're talking about that intimate distance. A husband and wife can be standing side by side, but their hearts can still be far apart. You can be sitting up in the horseshoe and you can still feel so lonely. Well, even 100,000 people there. I like what Claire Luce said, that great author. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. 
a second thing that you need to do is not only to rest your hope in God, but how about rejoice in God? Rejoice in the Lord. Sing in the dark. I know right now it seems like the Christian church is in full retreat on the North American continent, and there's no doubt about that. We're now living, they tell us, in a post-Christian society. Many of us who lived through the 80s, 90s, and so forth, you can't believe what we're witnessing, but we're living in that kind of situ situation now. And I heard historians and others talk about how Christianity has kind of started at the equator and it's kind of swept across Europe and so forth through North America, and now it's going back toward the equator because so many people around uh, uh, Latin America, in Africa, so many places are giving their life to God. Do you know what? I saw a... Uh, an article that came out just not very long ago, and they say globally that Christianity is actually advancing greater than the population is growing. That's amazing. Christianity is growing at a rate of something like 1.27, and population is growing at a rate of 1.2. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking 7.4 billion people, Almost 8 billion people. So that's a substantial growth way if you stop and think about it. And not only that, the same people have figured out that there are actually less atheists today in the world compared to 1970 by several millions upon millions less. Great things are really happening. David said in this same psalm, Psalm 42 and 8, he said his song will be in the night if you're going through a dark time, you know, there's something about turning the music on that can change your life. You know, when I get discouraged, I look for the Spotify. I look for the Amazon device. Even when I'm going through those dark, dark moments and I turn on that favorite song and I listen to those songs, those praise songs, it is something about that that can really lift life's load and give me encouragement. Philippians 4 commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And trust is a must, even in the dark moments of life. And then quickly, the third thing I want to say to you is not only to rest your hope in God, to rejoice even in the middle of the darkest of times, but revolutionize the way you view your problem. Think about that. Let your mind dwell on good things. You know, you have to rethink things in your life if you're going to change things in your life. You can't just keep pounding on the same thing over and over and over. Those old tapes just playing and playing and playing again. Just thinking about it doesn't work. I've tried that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It doesn't work. Life, after all, if you stop and think about it, is about repentance. Think with me a moment. It's about thinking God's way. It's about changing your way. Most of the inclinations that we have are not God's ways, and that's why we're called to repentance, to change your way. What is God's heart? What is the mind of God saying? What is God's ways? What is God's happiness for us? The difference between the size of the sun and the size of a quarter is the difference of a few millimeters and millions of miles, right? You can have the quarter there right up in your eye, and you can't see anything else, but if it's out there, it is transformative. And you need to revolutionize the way you view your problems. You can see whatever you want in your circumstances. Now, I know today that they're ending the Olympics, but I'll never forget a few years ago, an article came out in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology where they had done some study upon this, and they found that bronze medal winners were happy 
happier than silver medal winners. You're like, what? A person that came in second place, they ought to be ecstatic. But no, the bronze medal winners were just delighted to even get a medal, to even have the opportunity to stand up on the stage. But the silver medal winners couldn't help but thinking how close they were to getting the gold. David said, I am so upset. I should put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior and my Lord. You have to revolutionize the way you view your problem. You may not choose your circumstances, but you can certainly choose how you're going to battle it. You know, success is often closest when discouragement is the greatest. Now, how many salespeople do we have in here? Anybody know sales? I got to tell you, I heard the story here recently of this guy years ago. He was a salesman, and he sold insurance. And he was really a pretty good salesman, but he had this one guy that he was trying to sell, and it was in insurance, and the guy just wouldn't buy anything. He, he tried everything and just couldn't get the guy to buy anything. He thought, I'm going to go out and try it one more time. And he went out, and the guy said, all right, I'll take you up on it. I'll, 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 I'll buy I'll buy this insurance policy. So the salesman was delighted. He pulled out his ink pen, handed him the contract. The pen wouldn't write. True story. He tried several times to sign that thing. And, you know, the guy said, you know what? Let's just forget it. I don't think I'm going to buy this after all. The sales guy was completely discouraged. He couldn't believe it. He really needed this sale. He really needed it. He went home, he was in great discouragement, and he just sat down and he said, I'm determined right now, I'm never going to allow another cell to be lost because my ink pen doesn't work. He invented his own ink pen, and you know who that was? That was Lewis Waterman, which in much of the 19th century, it was the premier writing instrument in America. The Waterman Fountain Pen. And that was birthed out of a great time of discouragement. Let me say to you, if you're discouraged today, there could be just good times right ahead of you. Don't give in. Don't give up. But let God work in your life. I'd like to pray for you. You know, we're concluding our series today on Biggest Loser, but this is something that's going to go on for the rest of our journey, right? Because there's so many things out there that can bring us down, cause us to give up, Cause us to stop believing, stop trying, stop learning, stop growing. And we want you to drop whatever it is that's weighing you down, preventing you from moving forward. Coming up here in March, as we begin Lent, right after the Taste of Faith, we're going to start a new series on prayer. And I think prayer is going to be part of this. Kind of augment our biggest loser because we want you to really... Lean into a time of connecting with God in a life of personal prayer. But today as we close our service, I just want to ask you to bow with me, uh, center yourself here on a moment, and just give your life to God and say, God, come and rescue me, help me in my time of discouragement, my moment of despair. Shall we pray? Oh, God, we just thank you so very much that you are God and how good it is to gather here and to just come before you with all of our aches and pains, our hurts, our problems. And just like that old hymn, Just As I Am, Lord, we come today with our despair, with our discouragement, 
We've tried so hard to live this life. We got a problem with a, a relationship. We got an issue at work. I've been trying to outlive my means and I just can't take it any longer and I'm just so down and out. God, come to your people today. Lord, I just pray for those that are here that feel the pain of social isolation, loneliness and despair and just so distraught. Lord, bring encouragement upon our heart. Bring strength to them. Bring comfort. Use people around them, neighbors and family and friends to reach in and provide that special spark let them know of your presence. Thank you, we pray, Almighty God, for listening and hearing our prayer today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask.